You're listening to Allied Health Podcast, talking all things Allied Health, with your hosts Danielle Whedon, physiotherapist, and Claire Jones, occupational therapist. Peter Sitchiff joins us on Allied Health Podcast today. Welcome, Peter. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of your podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know Peter, you wear many hats, don't you, Peter? I do. Some of which <laughs> include I like it. <laughs> uh, individual and corporate business coach and author of My Beautiful Mess. It's a very raw, real and inspiring memoir of your experience of and recovery from burnout after 13 years as a sales consultant in the medical device industry. Sure is. <laughs> in a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> um, Peter, do you want to start with telling us a little bit about your career in medical device sales? Yeah, sure. I will. Thanks, Dan. Um, so medical device sales was something I somewhat stumbled across after a, a degree in um, a degree Bachelor of Science where I majored in exercise physiology. And then realised halfway through that, that um, really I had more of a business mind. It was more passionate um, about, about business as opposed to science. Um, from there, you know, exploring um, pharmaceutical sales was certainly a path that I became incredibly curious about and thought it was a nice marriage between what I had studied and what I enjoyed. So pharma sales for a couple of years, and then I moved into medical device sales where the bulk of my career was spent um, selling spinal prosthesis and um, what's called computer-assisted navigation, or in short, it's a form of robotics to 20 of Melbourne spinal surgeons, most of whom were neurosurgeons. So it's a really... um, I had no idea. It was something I really stumbled into, which I describe in the book. Um, And at the time, the career for the type of person I am um, was, or I was at the time, was just a perfect fit. Um, It was very early days in the industry. Uh, There were few players in the industry back in uh, 2003, as opposed to now. Um, and essentially, you know, the job is a sales role. You have a sales target. Um, I was out there selling prosthesis, which are, you know, the nuts and bolts, if you like, um, that patients have in their back when they have a spinal, inserted in their back when they have a spinal fusion. Um, and the bulk of the role, though, um, on top of the sales was the service component. And that component meant most of my days were spent in the operating room as you're educating nurses um, and surgeons on how to utilise the equipment. You're also troubleshooting more complex cases um, with surgeons at the time. So, yeah, majority of your time is spent in the operating room, which um, is, you know, an environment one to itself. (laughs) (laughs) So, Peter, it, it requires a really high level of technical knowledge. Yeah, it does. And a lot of that knowledge, I mean, back in the day when I started, there wasn't a large amount of training, um, but a high amount of technical knowledge, yes, in terms of the content, understanding anatomy, understanding um, the, the, the procedure, the operating procedure, operating technique, really understanding your equipment. At the end of the day, you're almost like a walking, talking instruction manual for your equipment. That's the content side of it all. However, probably what is even more important and certainly um, what I reflect on as my my biggest gains from the industry is 
it really is an, somewhat of an education in life <laughs> with the skills that you get. You know, being able to survive and perform within an operating room, a very, um, it's a privileged place to be and to be invited into. You, you have to be a trusted partner to be invited into such a high-risk environment. Um, but being able to negotiate the, um, the unexpected in an operating room um, respect the environment that you're in, understand your place in that environment, but then also being able to navigate and manage what, let's say, are some very, very complex personalities under stress and often extreme stress um, is certainly something that I found, I think I realise now came quite naturally to me at the time. Um, and has certainly set me up well for being able to utilise those skills now and I know it will moving forward as well. So I call it an education in life because it really is an education on how to connect, read and work with people, mm-hmm. which is something we all have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, after 13 years, um, you did suffer burnout <laughs> in that high-pressure yes, environment. I did. I did. I sort what, of. Um, what were the contributing factors that, that yeah. led to the experience of burnout? It's really interesting, Claire. I, burnout was not something that I noticed happening. Mm. It it is it's really sneaky mm. <laughs> um, in the way that it presents. And I think initially, you know, I should also mention that a really big part of that role means that you work when the surgeons work and patients don't present between nine and five. So essentially for, you know, 13 and a half years, um, I was on call for those surgeons when they needed me and when they needed me in the operating room. Um, You know, in conjunction with that, you've also got a personal life that you're trying to manage. Um, You know, I was married in that time. I had a child within that time. Um, Unfortunately, I also became a single parent during that time as well and then had to manage that work roster um, on call schedule and those customer demands as well as trying to meet the corporate demands of the sales number whilst managing life as a single parent. Um, So, you know, externally there were a lot of pressures there. However, what I would say with regard to burnout is it had probably more to do with what was happening inside of me that I didn't realise. So, you know, I was in a role for 13 and a half years, which, um, you know, paid incredibly well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do stay in the industry. And sometimes you can feel a little bit trapped in the industry as a result of that because you don't know what to jump to uh, when you have a lifestyle to maintain that's dependent on that outcome. Um, I I felt a lot of pressure um, to really clutch on to that, that income. They call it the golden handcuffs because you don't know where to go. Um, that created a lot of pressure when inside of me I could feel my life's priorities were changing. I could feel my son was needing me. I could feel myself becoming more agitated. I could feel myself becoming resentful for being called out on a Saturday when I wanted to be spending time with my son. I could feel myself feeling guilty for having to ring and ask people to help me with childcare when I was off working um, and I didn't want to 
burden my colleagues to ask them to help me either because they were already making sacrifices in their own lives as well. So um, I think, you know, the signs of burnout, there is the day-to-day stress, there is the exhaustion side of it. There's also the tedium side of it as well, which is really interesting. I've done quite a bit of reading on um, more recently around just the repetitive nature of what we do and the contributing factor that in itself is to burnout. Mm. And the reality is, is even though operations are very different the rea- um, from time to time, particularly the complex ones, is the goal is always to try to keep them as constant, risk-free and um, as standard and as expected as possible. So the tedium of that day-to-day, there was no there was no investment in myself. I was not investing in myself. Um, I was not aware that I needed to invest in myself. And I guess I was operating at such an um, a fast-paced level. It was almost a bit like an out-of-body experience. Mm. It was like this life was sort of, you know, you're racing along on this hamster wheel or on this highway, but yet it was sort of out side of really who I was I wasn't connected to that life yeah yeah and it's on automatic pilot yeah it is it's on autopilot and at no point and I thought I was doing the right thing you know I thought I was being responsible I was you know doing the best I could as a parent I was serving my customers I was serving the organization but the person I wasn't serving was myself Mm. and it's a long 13 years is a long time to be um to experience that as well it is, it is. So, you know, when the burnout um, did happen at the end of the day, you know, we can, whether we call it the burnout or the episode, I actually got to a point where my body physically, um, I, I, I just, I, I could not physically go to work. Mm. You know, there's a story I tell in the book where, um, you know, I, I went to Brisbane because my nan was unwell and I forgot my work phone. I, I left it on the um, on the kitchen bench when I was halfway to the airport and I had a personal phone which at the time when I purchased it a few months earlier I felt like I was cheating on my company. <laughs> um, but then I, um, I, I drove to the airport and I thought, no, I, I don't care. I'm leaving it behind. And that was quite a pivotal moment for me. And when I came back from Brisbane and we knew Nan was okay, um, I went to go to work the next day and sat in the car and I was physically shaking. Yeah. I, my body was not letting me go to work and I resigned five days later. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so in terms of just, I mean, you said it, it sort of sneaks up on you quietly or insidiously, mm. but how would you describe the onset of burnout? Yeah, so the onset, you know, the exhaustion of it all, the constant exhaustion, the constant emotional, you know, it's like um, I liken it to a leaky bucket. You, no matter how much energy you try to, to um, replenish, it's just you're constantly leaking because at the end of the day you, you're just you're operating in a way where you're not connected with yourself. You don't understand what's important to you. Um, I, for me, um, I, when I'm, when I'm particularly stressed, I lose weight really easily. Um, my hair all changed and all started falling out. I used to have long hair. I had to cut all of that off. 
Um, you know, my skin was terrible. Um, you know, other just other signs of stress, I guess, you know, as a, as a woman, and I don't mind sharing, you know, you, you're meant to have a monthly cycle that disappeared and dried up, (laughs) you know, um, I had inflammatory, um, inflammatory pain and neuralgia in my periphery, which I still manage to this day, um, restless legs, couldn't sleep at night, insomnia, you name it. It just, and I, here I am trying to survive thinking, that is all quite normal. Yeah, significant physic, physical, um, physiological responses to stress as well. Absolutely, quite extreme in yeah. the end, um, really quite extreme. So, yeah, so look, that's that's how the onset presented, but I didn't recognise it at the time. And that, that the day that I was, my body actually protested for me to go to work was like, that's it, you're done. So I resigned. Something's not right. Um, We speak to, as you know, many health professionals all day, every day and have done for many years. And often they're talking to us about changing career outside of a clinical setting, for example. But I think um, that mix of being on all the time uh, as a clinician, um, seeing a patient, you know, seeing patients day in, day out, I think that um, I think that often that can lead to um, what you mentioned in terms of even some of the mundanity of a role or the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the emotional nature of being a health professional with, with a, you know, seeing patients all the time. Um, so we do talk to, we do talk to therapists that have, that are, are, you know, talking about burnout as well. Mm-hmm. Oh. It, it is difficult when um, the, the consequence of putting a boundary in place is going to impact uh, impact a patient or a participant, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a it's not a reason not to have the boundary in place, um, mm. but that's the, that's the pressure, isn't it? That if you don't if you don't attend, if you're not on, if you're not there, then um, then you, then your patient or your participant is is ultimately going to miss out. Absolutely, and, and health professionals by nature, by nature of why they've moved into a health professional, you know, to study health health and to to be that, um, it is a very giving profession. So I think it's it's often um, it, it's often easy as a health professional to not put yourself first. Um, and to put your work and your and your patients clients yeah first yeah, absolutely absolutely and the thing is 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 you can't you can't give to other people what you don't have yourself yeah, great which is something that I now realize and feel really strongly about and putting boundaries in place you know there's physical boundaries mental boundaries right. emotional boundaries but um, exactly but I think and I think also, which, you know, you put in place when you deal with patients every day or the professional and you've got the patient and you understand there's boundaries there. I think what is equally important before you put your boundaries in place is you need to know what it is that you're protecting. Mm. Yeah. You know, so what is it that I stand for? What is it that's most important to me? Um, you know, what is it that I am protecting with these boundaries? And um, for me, now um, I use energy as my currency these days. So I really, you know, what are my energy levels like? Are my boundaries helping preserve and maintain those energy levels that I need to be able to not only function but to grow and thrive and, um, you know, work towards my, you know, my aspirations, if you like. Um, I think that's really important. Um, is 
you know, we can spend, I think if there's something that I've learned with burnout, you know, I, one of the things that has really helped me is I've spent a lot of time in, in the mess, as I sat in the mess, <laughs> that really uncomfortable place, because my psychologist who I see routinely once a month and have done now for five years, um, as like a, a mental fitness check-in, um, you know, she said, you know, you've got to sit in the mess. Um, you will get through this. You're, you are not your anxiety. You are yourself and it is yourself that we are looking at rebuilding. And for me now, I can look at the difference between, I look at anxiety, stress, exhaustion and loneliness and I can understand now depending on how I'm feeling um, you know, and then those feelings don't come up all the, those things don't come up all the time. But if I'm feeling depleted, I can go, okay, hang on, what's the problem here? Which is it? And then I know the antidote to help me lift myself out of it, which I think is really important. So the answer's always inside. We can spend a lot of time patching the outside, you know, um, and support is important. And, um, you know, having people around us is important, but equally, we've got to do the work on the inside. Peter, just going back to that point in that career, when you're mm. sitting in that mess, what exactly was the mess? The mess was, um, it was interesting. So my, my burnout actually didn't happen when I left, immediately when I left the medical device industry. It was about six months later. And what I did that's when I—that's interesting. Can I just interrupt, Peter? That's yeah. interesting because I would have thought, I would have thought the burnout was you sitting in the car, not physically being able to drive to work. I would mm. have thought that was mm. the burnout. But you're saying it happened actually after that event. I think it was a part of it, and I think it was stretched out. And again, I didn't recognise it. At that time, I wasn't mm. seeing a professional who was mm. able to provide those insights. I was managing it the best way I knew how. So you're I, a so you're a, a a young middle aged woman. You've got your hair falling out. You've got um, what were the other what were the other symptoms that you described? Yeah, your exhaustion, um, uh, weight loss, exhaustion. weight loss. Um, yep. And you're sitting in your car and you're shaking and you can't physically drive to work. Um, and at that point, you say that you didn't recognise that as, as burnout. Correct. It's so interesting. I thought it was the job. I didn't think it was me. Now, I was so relieved to finish that role that that relief carried me for some time. Yeah. Mm. The reprieve. Correct. However, mm. what I did, which is what I've always done historically, um, it's different today, is I strategize my, my way out of it. I just carve out a new path. So off I went, mm. you know, and um, I um, was very passionate about giving back. I reflected a lot upon what made me successful during my sales career and thought, surely I can, you know, I'd love to be able to carve something out to support others in the industry, to prevent what happened to me from happening to them, to help them perform in a more balanced way. Mm. Um, so I did that. However, there's a lot of pressure in starting your own business. I'm sure many of your, um, your listeners who have their own businesses will understand 
the pressure of starting your own business, um, which is what I decided to do, start my own coaching business and go out there on my own without really giving probably due thought or consideration to the practicalities and the financial pressures. And if there's a type of stress that I've probably, for me, I think is one of the most um, extreme stresses now that anyone can ever go through, it's financial stress. And that compounded what was, you know, with, with when, I was al- when I was already depleted and not realising it, that additional stress compounded on top of that, that was my breaking point. And I talk about that in the first chapter of the book. I describe that scene um, where I literally just ran out of money. And that was the snapping point. And it was a, a full breakdown um, physically, mentally, emotionally, the lot. And at that point, I was referred to a psychologist who I saw a number of times a week for some time. Her name's Jo. Um, I talk about her in the book. I spent a lot of time on her couch. And she was amazing. You know, she she essentially said to me, your tool's down. Tool's down. No work. You need to survive. You need to do your bare responsibilities, um, which was parenting. Um, and for four to five months, that's what I did. I sat on a couch and essentially um, I wasn't allowed to create. I wasn't allowed to go out and seek new work. I just had to sit in the mess. Mm-hmm. Parenting, parenting gave me a structure to my day, which was great. Um, and my appointments with Jo um, were obviously very important as well. With that, she helped me understand anxiety, my anxiety and what it was like living with chronic anxiety. And I had had a number of panic attacks over those previous years as well, quite acute, some which ended me up, um, had, saw me end up in the emergency room. Um, So it was a time where what I then found was, you know, we defined what was important to me and we decided to, um, or Joe encouraged me to invest quite a bit of time into that, which I did. So that's the, um, that started to really fill my energy tank. And then I found myself becoming just really quite curious about what the heck was going on with me. (laughs) and. I started, um, as much as I could, I started researching. I had my attention span, my ability to concentrate during this time and for a number of years, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd read a book, it would Mm. be over 10 years, but my ability to concentrate was minimal. And I decided, I went into a bookshop, I wanted to start reading and understanding what was going on. And I purchased um, a book, it was a Brené Brown book, And I thought, okay, start with page one, one page. That's it, Peter, just read one page. And I did that and that was all I could do. Then I went to 10 pages, then to 50. And then I started flying through a book a week. And that became, that was a a really significant moment for me. I found something I loved in reading. I was learning of which I'd just starved myself from any learning and and self-personal development for so many years. Um, Intentional, I should say. Um, I think you're always learning on your job. But um, that reading component is what actually started bringing me back to life, um, I guess, in a way, 
and I could start to, you know, um, almost found support in the pages that I was reading. It was yep. quite interesting. Mm. We've sort of covered it off already, Peter, but in terms of health professionals in particular, um, what do you think some of the key factors um, would be for them to look out for in terms of the onset of burnout? Yeah, sure. It's um, Look, I think first and foremost is you've got to be mindful of, be mindful of your day-to-day um, and be mindful of the workload that you have, number one. They're the they're the sort of the exterior surrounds, but but what I would say is never lose sight of what's important to you and the boundaries you have in place to protect that. So, for example, if you've got um, if you've got a key value of yours that is um, connectivity or creativity, make sure you're spending some time each day or you're investing time each week in fueling that creativity. And you're protecting that time with the boundaries you put in place. Um, For many people I know, um, family is really important to them. So make sure you've got boundaries in place to protect that time. Um, You know, those things that are really going to, to ignite the energy within you. Allied health professionals, I know you do a lot of professional development. That's a requirement. And there's a lot of passion for the job that you have. But don't lose sight of the personal development as well. So how are you developing yourself as an individual? You know, you're you're working, I think very few careers now are around, um, you know, are careers forever. So I like to think of it as you're you're working, um, currently working in a chapter of your professional life. You may or you may not know what the next chapter is. Sometimes a great way of being able to define that and to remain connected with yourself is rather than focusing on what I do, it's flushing out and defining what's the impact I make because that's about you. It's not about your qualification or the job title. So I would say keep connected to you at all times. Intentional check-ins that keeps you connected to yourself is really, really important. And at the end of the day, you know, our well-being is divided into four sections. We've got our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our intellect, our emotional well-being, and our spiritual well-being. So how are we investing in the four of those? In all four. Mm. Correct. And, Different and you ways really have to, to be so. investing in all four yep. to perform in every facet of your life at your optimum, don't you? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, that is the definition of high performance, you know, a high-performing athlete, you know, the the um, the physical. Actually, I experienced a little bit of this on a hike I did recently in the Lara Pinta um, Trail in the Northern Territory. You know, your physical fitness gets you so far. Your mental toughness will get you so far. What happens when they're depleted? Mm. You tap into the emotional, mm. that emotional layer, and that's what fires you up. So you'll often hear. Um, you'll often hear professional athletes say, you know, what is what is something in their life that's happened, a moment that has been so powerful or pivotal for them, really emotional, and they tap into that layer and that fires them up to keep going. Your emotional reserves are really important. If they're depleted, you, you know, physical, mental, you've got nothing there, you start falling short. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in um, in most um, health health roles, um, you can give and give and give and give, and there's still opportunity to give, isn't there? So you've just really got to have those clear boundaries in place um, to really define work from Absolutely. Life. You know, and like I said, you can't give what you don't have. And I think it's really important, particularly in, um, in allied health when you're seeing patients day after day after day, is be mindful of the... I think we all know, I would hope that we would all know and we have enough awareness to know when we're at our capacity with a session that we're doing, when we can start, suddenly feel ourselves becoming a bit impatient or a bit agitated or a bit dismissive because, God, I need a break. I've seen back-to-back patients for the last four hours and it's doing my head in. I just need a break. Mm-hmm. I need a, a breather. I think it's important that self-awareness is really key to know, you know, to be performing at your best, to be able to um, to, to keep going, to be able to, to have the endurance to keep going is, is just, be, just be aware of that. Know your limits. Mm-hmm. Create the breaks when you need the breaks. Um, you know, call it out when you need to call it out. I just think that's really important and I think it's something that, we don't do often enough. We just go, look, I've got an eight-hour shift today. I've got a one-hour lunch break. I'll grab 15 minutes. But yeah. at the end of the day, if that's not helping you deliver great quality care consistently, then maybe you need to look at actually restructuring your day. Mm. I'll do two hours, then I'll have a half-hour break, then I'll do another two hours. The afternoons is not my best time, so I'll factor in a break there and then come back a bit later, mm. whatever it might be. But that I said earlier, you know, I use energy as my currency. I, I now manage my diary based on my energy levels. And I do a lot of coaching, a lot of very intense one-on-one work. And, you know, my my clients deserve my presence 100% of the time. Yeah. I really love the work and I know that I'm at my best when I'm 100% present. And that means I've got to invest in myself to be able to give back to them. Otherwise, there's nothing to give back. Yeah. Yeah, it's about really being in tune with you, yourself, isn't it? Being connected and in tune with yourself. Mm. Finally in tune. <laughs> yeah. And and Peter, how can um, listeners purchase my beautiful mess? I've I've read the book and I I took so much away from it. I really did. Um, how can how can listeners purchase my beautiful mess? Yeah, thanks, Claire. So, um, look, you can purchase it on Amazon or Booktopia as an ebook. Um, but equally, um, I have a website which is mybeautifulmess.com.au and it can be purchased directly off there as well um, for those copies. And if you do live locally in Melbourne, I know not everybody will, but the Avenue Bookstores also have copies of it too. Fantastic bookstore. It's my favorite. <laughs> Absolutely. A very dangerous place to be if you love books. <laughs> yes, it is, but they have a loyalty program. It's great. <laughs> I am a frequent flyer. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> um, Peter, thanks again for joining us today. It's been really great to have a chat. And um we really appreciate you sharing your story, well, a tiny piece of your story, um, which um is 
Great. So um, as mentioned at the beginning, it's obviously my beautiful mess. It's a very raw and real narrative of burnout experienced in a career in health. Um, so I'm sure our listeners will love to um, have a listen to your advice. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Allied Health Podcast. In the show's notes, you'll find links to our free recruitment resources, job opportunities and healthcare marketplace insights. To listen to new episodes, please subscribe via Apple, Google or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star rating and review and be sure to tell your therapy colleagues and friends to tune in. Music